Hi, this is Melanie from Dear Debt. You are listening to Eric Rosenberg, who totally rocks. And you are about to listen to the Personal Profitability Podcast. You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we are recording a very, very special episode, the one-year anniversary of the Personal Profitability Podcast. We started on the first Thursday of January 2015. Now it's the first Thursday of January 2016, so episode number 25. And for this episode, I was thinking, how could I do something really special and, and you know, I want to make it make it pop, you know, as Vanilla Ice would say on his uh, real estate show. So to make it pop, I thought I want one of the best guests, if not the best guests we have had ever so far on the podcast. And this is someone I'm going to tell you a little bit about him if you uh, haven't read who it is yet and how we met, because I think it's kind of a funny story. So a long time ago in a galaxy not so far away in uh, Chicago, Illinois, or actually a suburb called Schomburg, was the first ever FinCon, the first ever finance blogger conference. It wasn't even called FinCon yet then. And I went alone. I, I knew I was going to have a roommate, someone who I'd met through the Yakezi group that I've talked about before. But I didn't really know anybody. I'd never met anybody in person that I was going to see at this conference. And at the time, there were a few bloggers who were we now refer to them kind of as the godfathers of personal finance blogging. They were around at the beginning and they built up these huge audiences and ended up selling their blogs to a, a big company. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But so this person who we have on right now who's listening to me talk, it's kind of funny to have him listen while I'm talking. <laughs> um, he, we, we met the first time I walked into the hotel and I walked into the lobby, checked in and I turned and I saw him sitting there and I recognized him. I knew who he was because... Um, well, because of his name badge partially, but also because I was a big fan of his site, Get Rich Slowly, which was at the time uh, maybe the biggest or in, definitely in the top few biggest personal finance blogs there are. And I um, very quickly introduced myself and I was actually kind of nervous. I didn't know. I was like, oh, this guy's like huge deal. Who am I? I felt like I was like meeting Michael Jackson in the 80s or something, but the blogging celebrity equivalent. And um, the next morning, he did the opening keynote for the conference and he came out and introduced himself in Klingon. Oh, no, no problem. There's a sneeze. <laughs> no problem. But so he came out and, uh, and started speaking Klingon or, or his friend was speaking Klingon on stage. He was dressed up as a Klingon. Yes, dressed up as a Klingon and spoke Klingon. And I thought, man, this guy's a bigger nerd than me. I only speak <laughs> Klingon in private with my friends. This guy's doing it in public. No, I, I don't actually really speak Klingon. I don't know if you do. But I'm really excited to introduce, after that very long, drawn-out intro, J.D. Roth, who is on with us. So give everyone a big hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. That's awesome. And, and what you don't mention is now, when we are both actually home, we're pretty much neighbors in, in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So, um, so I really got to know JD about two years ago when I moved to Portland from Denver 
And um, we, at that point, you know, met at a few more conferences. So, so I definitely knew more of who JD was. And, and I think you recognized and knew who I was. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. Um, so then we got together. We, there were, we do um, regular blogger, um, finance blogger happy hours here. We call them FinCon Locals. And I got to really know JD. And we've ridden bikes around town. When he yeah. is in Portland, we live and a mile or two Eric apart. organizes or did organize. I don't know if you still do. And I don't actually remember what you called it. But it's like the uh, Portland we, Cruiser Ride. Yeah, and it's like a weekly pub crawl on bikes. Yes, we did that for one summer, and now we have the baby. So we, um, since Jennifer couldn't drink this year, we decided to take this year off. Got it. So, so we had did not do it this year, but it was a it, totally and that was fun a lot time. Of fun. Yeah, you know, I think Kim and I only did it the first time. I think so. You guys never made it back. I was, I was a little sad that we never well, got to drink it, on bikes more. It's surprising because we both like to drink and we both like to exercise. <laughs> what, what better can you do? I and mean, that's how I've actually met my wife. On a uh, on a on the Denver cruiser ride, so that's a big that's, part of why we wanted to bring it here. We had a lot of fun, and I have a lot of memories from that night, including we ended the night at this very hole in the wall bar called like something the pub at the pub, end of the universe. Pub at the end of the universe, which is funny because I actually live a block away from there now. Yes, so well, it might be your regular watering hole. I have yeah. not been back. Not on a cruiser ride, actually. There's other bars I've gone to in the neighborhood. <laughs> I, I don't know whether you remember, but I don't get hit on often. So when it does, it, or when I do get hit on, it, I remember it. And it's a notable I was, moment. Yes. I was getting hit on by like this 50-year-old gal there who wanted me to go home with her. I was like, really? <laughs> that, was a, uh, it was, that was a fun night. Cracking me up. And they do um, open band night at that bar. On, yeah. I think it's on Thursday nights, which is the night we were riding. So you know, a lot of places do open mic night where you can bring your guitar and sing a song or do your stand-up comedy thing. I just sat down at the drums and started rocking out, even though I really don't know how to play drums at all. But, you know, if you have enough drinks, you can do anything, really, <laughs> and think you're really good at it. So, exactly right. Yeah. And so, I think it's great that you mentioned the whole nerd stuff and the Star Trek stuff and the... Uh, and you said something about a lot at the intro. You said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which is obviously a Star Wars reference. <laughs> I thought, how timely could I? Uh, yeah. Could so I be? we are recording this show on December nineteenth. I hope that doesn't just destroy any illusions for your listeners. I That's don't know okay. how. That's okay. They can know. I know we're early. airing it on January seventh. Yes. Um, so you know the new Star Wars movie opened yesterday, and I know from. Eric's Facebook feed that I, I don't think you've seen it yet, right? I will be seeing it next weekend, actually a week from today when my uh, my parents are coming in town. And when I was in the same city as my dad, I went to midnight showings to see every Star yeah. Wars that was released in my lifetime. Actually, the first when they did episode one, I was studying for a month at a religious uh, institution in Jerusalem. And really? I went and saw it at midnight in Jerusalem. It was my first time ever seeing a movie in Israel, which is a... I an interesting experience on its own, but pretty much every single person there was either American or British <laughs> and half of them were in costumes. It was the first new Star Wars movie in like 30 years. So people yeah. were pumped and uh, all the Israelis oh, who worked there were looking years. at us. 16 like, years. You're not nerdy enough. 16 years. 16 years. My yeah. apologies. <laughs> I just saw that on Facebook today that uh, Tess Vigland, who maybe some of your listeners know from her work on Marketplace Money, uh, she's traveling the world right now and she's in uh, Thailand or uh, Vietnam, and she went to see the Star Wars movie there, and it has Vietnamese or Thai subtitles. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah, I saw it with Hebrew subtitles, um, <laughs> and it was a funny thing. Uh, this is totally off topic to finance, but it, when you go see a movie in Israel, they do um, they still do an intermission at the very middle of every movie, 
and they do it um, based on the time of the movie, not based on movie scenes. So like no. they were in the middle of a big no. lightsaber battle no. and all the lights came on and it said Hafsaka on the screen, which means intermission or break. Um, <laughs> so we're like, oh, man, you, know, you don't That's- have break times here in the U.S. in movies, but they still do that there because everyone <laughs> smokes so much that they need their break. And they yeah. just started. Um, I mean, now I guess it's been a while, but around that time, they had really just started enforcing you cannot smoke in malls, movie theaters and buses. So it was a new thing, you know. 10 years ago, 16 years ago, um, when that so, all happened. I haven't seen, so uh, I live in Portland with Eric, uh, but I, I'm right now. You're not in with me like a miler. And no, a half well, <laughs> but right now I'm in Savannah, Georgia for the winter. And uh, uh, my girlfriend and I, Kim and I have not gone to see the new Star Wars movie yet. I mean, it's only been out a day, 18 hours, whatever. Right. But uh, I'm such a nerd that uh, because I can't go see it right away, I bought the Kindle book version <laughs> and so eric just for you it's not a spoiler i promise it's not that much of a spoiler okay i'm gonna read listen. the opening crawl because the opening crawl is in the book okay all right and well, you maybe you know all this stuff already i know I'm a little a, bit i'm enough of a star wars nerd and i've played enough of the video games that i know some of the backstory but i've well, always kind of well, shielded myself from the forward story hoping someday an official yeah. one would come out there's a, there's been a lot of talk about why isn't Luke in the trailers and stuff. And so the, it, it, the very first line of the crawl, the opening crawl answers that. Oh, so, oh. Luke Skywalker has vanished in his absence. The sinister first order has arisen from the ashes of the empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi has been destroyed. Dun, dun, dun. With the support of the Republic, general Leia Organa, leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Dot, dot, dot. That sounds fun. Well, speaking of fun things, I know, um, as I always say, personal finance should be fun. It should not be boring and stuffy. So and we've already made it a few minutes in, but if you um, have not already cracked open a beer, here's your opportunity to hit the pause button, head over to the fridge, grab your favorite beer, wine, scotch, whatever your beverage is. You know, I'm always a beer guy, typically. Um, I know JD has a beer in hand, a local uh, Georgia beer. Do you want to tell That's us what you're drinking? Sure. So uh, I will say, so for your listeners, uh, my girlfriend and I left Portland, Oregon on March 25th, 2015 to start what was supposed to be a year long trip. Well, to be honest, it was supposed to be a six month long trip. Around know, we've missed state. you. You haven't come back. I had to go to Charlotte to see you. I know. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it's been a lot of fun, but, uh, eventually we got burned out. So we stopped here in Savannah, Georgia, and we'll resume the trip, uh, in early April of 2016. But, uh, anyway, along the way, we thought we were going to drink wine in every state we went to. But it turns out there is some really, really crappy wine out there. Did you say the worst? I think I remember hearing Wisconsin was particularly bad or oh, somewhere man. up in that part yeah, of the country. Yes. Wisconsin and Michigan and even here in Georgia, they like sweet wines. It's fruit wine and it is bad. I'm sorry to the listeners who like it, but I do not enjoy it. it Have you ever had an ice wine? Yeah. It's totally different. I know it's a sweet wine, but it's totally different yeah. than all the others. That's one that I always find kind of interesting. I had, uh, I tried one in Colorado once at a local Colorado winery and, um, mm-hmm. 
on the western mm-hmm. slope that Coloradans call it near uh, Grand Junction. There's oh, an yeah. area that grows a lot of wine and uh, yep. I mean, they grow grapes, but they make wine and fruit wines and cherry wines and peach wines. And So that's like north of Uray toward, uh, well, like you said, Grand Junction. It's uh, right off I-70. If you go from Denver about uh, four or five hours west towards California, you'll eventually hit wine country. That is it. a beautiful stretch of highway, believe it or not. I mean, it, I it, it might sound stupid to say any stretch of the freeway is beautiful, but that is some of the most beautiful scenery you will ever see. Okay. About an hour east of wine country in Colorado, there's um, what was actually one of my family's favorite vacation spots growing up for a weekend away. Grand, um, now I'm saying Grand Junction. It was not Grand Junction. Glenwood Springs and right. the canyon um, yep. has... The most expensive per mile portion of interstate highway ever built in the United States. But it is amazing. I'm surprised they don't use it in video games for like. I know. Like I'd I'd totally drive through it on Grand Theft Auto and knock people into the river and stuff. Here is it. Here's a a sad, sad story. To me, it's a sad, sad story. So on this RV trip, uh, we have a GoPro that we can mount to the uh, hood of the RV or to the hood of the Mini Cooper that we tow. Mm -hmm. And so on that stretch... Uh, I, I had known in advance that this was supposed to be a great section of highway. I didn't know how great it was. And so I had the, the GoPro mounted and on, and it was recording. Cool. But, well, yes, it would have been cool. Oh, there's always the but. But, so the little light was blinking and every, everything on the back of the GoPro told me it was recording. But when we got to uh, wherever our stop was for that day, just above Denver, high in the mountains, and... Uh, I looked at the video. It, it had not recorded. It didn't oh, see. Oh, man. That's so I don't have that. My know, first so. ever flying lesson, I borrowed my brother-in-law's GoPro and brought it along. And it was my first time ever using a GoPro. And I took a picture of black and the roof <laughs> of the plane. as a still picture. And that was all I got for the whole thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. Um, but now I have lots of great flight videos. So, so We have lots of bad. We're not talking about personal finance at all so far. I know we should uh, get, but we need to drink, start drinking our beer so we can start talking no, about I, money. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got to tell you what beer I'm drinking too. I know, yeah. So uh, I was going to say, we have lots of uh, GoPro horror stories from the trip. <laughs> like there was a time that we were on this, uh, it was a highway, very sparsely traveled, going from South Dakota to Nebraska. And we're going down to see one of Kim's friends. And I went to put the GoPro on the top of the mini. I, I'm sitting in, my, in the passenger seat trying to put the GoPro on the top of the mini. And I thought it latched in, but it didn't. Oh, and it fell off the car? Yeah, it went boom, 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 boom. Oh, man. And so we had to go They're back. durable, though, at least. Yeah, absolutely. It, it survived. And uh, there have been all sorts of other little catastrophes with it. But they are durable little beasts. I feel like I should set up a uh, an affiliate link for Amazon, like personalprofitability.com slash GoPro or something. Do, do you talk about it a lot? <laughs> no, I never do. But I feel like I should be trying to make money off of it while we're talking huh? about it, right? <laughs> well... I have terabytes of footage from the trip and I haven't edited it yet. So when I get back to Portland in October, 2016, I'm going to spend several months editing the footage and I don't know what I'll do with it, but you can make a, uh, a movie like um, Harold and Kumar go to white castle, but it'll be, you know, JD and Kim go everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Watch our boring video. So, okay. Back anyway, to it. So what beer are you drinking? So everyone can hear. I am drinking. So it, I, I started off by saying that uh, our intention was to drink wine in every state, but there's some bad wines out there. Uh, but what we found out really quickly is almost every state has decent breweries. Totally. And uh, none of them really compare to Portland breweries. I'm sorry to say. 
Although except, except Colorado. Colorado has, yes. Colorado has some amazing breweries, but I, I have to say Portland is a little, little bit better than Denver, having lived well, in both. Fort Collins is pretty good. Yeah. Fort Collins, it's, it's good stuff. And uh, uh, my favorite brewery actually is, uh, it's called Omegang or Omegang, and it's out of Cooperstown, New York, which is where the Baseball Hall of Fame is, but they make some great beer. Uh, so I'm drinking Sweetwater, is the brewery, out of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I started with their Whiplash White IPA, and I, I, I like pre-functioned, and now I'm on their Georgia Brown, which they call it a river of deep caramel and chocolate malts meandering through undercurrent, undercut currents of hop additions. Let's see. Huh. Yeah, I'm not a big multi guy. I like the light floral IPAs, though. Um, I have to be honest. Right now, we're we're doing a little fridge clean out, and I'm doing the uh, the hipster classic Pabst Blue Ribbon. And I actually haven't even opened it yet. Ready? I'm going to open it on. Okay, I want everyone it. to hear the moment. I was treating my tap and then. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm thirsty. So cheers, everyone who, if you're not at work or driving a car, I hope you can cheers along with us. This is like the best personal finance podcast ever so far. We've talked about beer and travel and Star Wars. But well, they're all much. part of, and it's all really part of personal finance. If you think about it, everything you do, you are either enabled to do or unable to do generally because of something that has to do with money. You know, like my, my biggest restriction that keeps me from traveling the world right now is, you know, I I have a full-time day job and I have limited vacation time. So, but why do I have the day job? Ultimately, I don't go for my health. I go for money, right? So is that one of your mantras, what you just said that ultimately everything you, I don't, I don't even know how you phrase it. Have you said it should be a mantra. Like I feel like when I, when I write my new book that I should write someday, that should be part of it. You should flag. I I know you've got timelines on your screen right now or whatever. (laughs) You seriously, you should write this down because I want you to send me this quote. It was a great quote. I'm going to grab it. Ultimately everything you do or, or you're able to do or unable to do comes down to money. I think that's great. That was at uh, 17 minutes and 20 seconds on my timer. There you go. Now you hear my pen writing. So, um, so now, so now the reason we're really here together, almost 20 minutes in. Um, so JD, as I was saying, he, he is, um, in the f- personal finance blogging world, people really look up to him. He's done some very amazing things and it all started before there was a word blog or weblog. JD started this personal finance website about his, he had some serious struggles getting out of debt and credit cards, consumer debt, all kinds of debt. Um, could you start your story there and, and tell us first yeah. how you got into the debt and what you started to do to turn that around? Well, you kind of mixed a couple things up there, but I will clarify them. Well, I so know I, I got, got all in- the pieces, just maybe not, you know, we turn Tino right. it. We don't always do it in order. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, <clears throat> sorry, I'm eating peanuts as we talk. I'm eating, I'm going to make an endorsement here. This is a company out of Washington called CB, just like CB Radio. CB's nuts. And they Washington make the most State or Washington, D.C.? Washington State. Okay. Right so uh, they make these great, lightly salted roasted peanuts, and they are by far, by far the best peanuts I've ever had. And I actually found them at uh, New Seasons, a supermarket uh, that Eric and I go to oh, yeah. in uh, Portland. Yeah. And that's where I first found them. And now I order them. While we're on the road, we order cases of these, and they come in. <laughs> They're like and, a uh, local Whole Foods for uh, yeah. people who've never been. But uh, so anyway, I keep coughing, including that supposed sneeze when you were introducing me because I get the peanuts stuck in my the little filtery thing. OK, anyway, so I got into debt uh, in college, actually, 
uh, I didn't have student loans. I was very fortunate, but it didn't matter because I got hooked on credit cards. The per, I was the proverbial guy who went to the student union and got sucked into the credit card offers. Did you get a free pizza at least? No. Oh man. I didn't get anything besides interest charges. Oh, so, a uh, I know it was, uh, to me, it seemed like free money. I mean, intellectually, I understood that I was just deferring my payments, but it didn't matter. It was a way for me to have what I wanted now. I was very much an instant gratification guy. And then that's something I struggle with still, actually. And uh, so I, I ended up accumulating a lot of credit card debt. So by the middle of the 1990s, I had over $20,000 in credit card debt. And uh, it felt like a big burden. I, I, it felt like I was just chained to the debt and I wanted out of it, but I kept making dumb decisions. And so couldn't get out of the debt. Were there any super big purchases that stick out in your memory that you're like, oh, well, it was awesome to have, but I really shouldn't have done it? No, it was always lots of little stuff. I bought tons and tons of magazines. I, I can't even believe how many magazines I bought. I've never actually mentioned that before, but magazines are so stupid. You're spending 2 or $3 at a time for something transitory. And of course, back then, the internet was very young and... It, I mean, nowadays, magazines are dying because the internet is free and replaces them. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then, that wasn't the case. And I had so many magazine subscriptions and would buy tons of magazines, buy lots of books I didn't read, buy computer games, buy comic books. It was, it was dumb. And I know that now, but uh, it still didn't stop me from doing it. And so I accumulated that debt. And I, ultimately, I ended up with over $35,000 in consumer debt. Uh, in 2004, at my worst. And that's when I started trying to dig things out. Uh, and along the way, concurrently, uh, I, I was into computers. I programmed computers. I built computers. I did computer consulting. And I had websites. And in 1997, I think it was, I started my first weblog. But we didn't call them weblogs back then because the, the term had not been coined. We called them web journals or online journals. And uh, I had read several people doing this and I liked it. So I did it myself. And then uh, when Blogger came around, I started using Blogger to uh, create my website. And then ultimately a piece of software called Movable Type and then eventually WordPress. Anyway, so I had a personal site where I wrote, I always say I wrote about cats, computers, and comic books because those, those three things were pretty much my main topics. <laughs> it was very nerdy. And uh, at some point, I, I wrote about my struggle with debt. And uh, I, it, when was it? Ah, timing isn't important. I, I think it was early in May 2000, or early in uh, 2005, I wrote a post at my personal site. And I called that post, Get Rich Slowly. And what it was, was the summary of all these books I had been reading about personal finance. And I said that, you know, they all say that there's no reliable way to get rich quickly but you can get rich slowly if you follow some time-tested advice. And uh, about a year later, I was trying to come up uh, with some ways to make an extra, some extra money. And this is in uh, early 2006. And uh, I thought, oh, I should, start, I should start blogging for profit. I should start trying to make money up from my blogs. And my first attempt was to do a comic book blog. But it turns out I don't like modern comic books, so that was never going to work. And then I thought, oh, you know, that, that Get Rich Slowly article, that was very popular because some very big websites had linked to it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe there's a market there. And so I decided to start a website called Get Rich Slowly. 
and I thought it would be the first personal finance blog on the internet. Now, little did I know there are other big sites like uh, Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich and Jim Wang's uh, Blueprint for... Bargaining. Well, yeah, but back then it was called Blueprint for Financial Prosperity or something like that. It was long and complicated. (laughs) And then in Harlan Landis's Consumerism Commentary. You might, uh, and listeners might remember we had Harlan on, I think, five episodes ago when we recorded live at FinCon. So you can go back into the archives and... uh, and hear him and his story as well. Yeah, Harlan's awesome. Totally. So, um, and Jim and Harlan and I, we have sort of an informal, infrequent mastermind group. The three of us like collaborate, sort of. We come up with great ideas that we never do. The Secret Blogging Millionaires Club? <laughs> Something like that. that. <laughs> yeah. And we, just, we just never do anything. I mean, we want to work together, but we never have yet. It's nice an idea. Anyway, so Get Rich Slowly... I thought I would make maybe, maybe a few hundred dollars a year to help me pay off my debt. Uh, my goals with the site were number one, for me to learn about money. So I, I was reading books and reading articles, and then uh, it was a way for me to do that and get better with money. My second goal was to help other people get better with money. So as I read this stuff, I recapitulated it. And my third goal was to make a little bit of money for myself. And what I did not expect was how much people liked the site. It was a very humbling and gratifying how much people enjoyed Get Rich Slowly. And uh, so it grew very quickly. Uh, the audience did. And so did the revenue. I, I think the first month, actually, I have a printout right over here. I printed this out to remind me because I, I just started a new website. In, in April of 2006, I made $8.29. Nice. Hey, that's a bit, that's- you know, inflation adjusted, that's probably two or three beers back then. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> but the, the second month in May, I made $85. And by June, I was up to almost $500. And uh, it just went up from there. So within, within a short time, I was making as much from the website as I was making for my day job. And I thought, all right, that's great. And uh, eventually, I quit my day job, worked on Get Rich Slowly full time. And it started making gobs and gobs of money so that it, eventually it made more in one month that I would make from working my day job in a year, which just blew my mind. I didn't even know that kind of stuff was possible. And uh, that's the story of Get Rich Slowly. Eventually I sold it. Uh, I stuck around and worked at it just as long after I sold it as I had before I sold it. And uh, then eventually I thought I would retire from personal finance, but that hasn't been the case. Uh, so, so your debt payoff... That you primarily could attribute to the what began as side income at Get Rich Slowly. Is that right? Yeah, it was a combination of things. For me, uh, so you talk about personal profitability. And to me, profitability occurs when you are making more than you're spending. And it doesn't matter how you get there. It doesn't matter whether you trim your spending or increase your income. Although for most people, it's easier to increase your income. And in my case, I did both. And... uh, so my debt payoff came, yeah, because I was increasing my income, but also because I was cutting my spending. I always say that budgeting is like trying to lose weight through only exercise and not changing your diet. Because yeah. if you, you have to think you have, you have a controllable number of inputs and outputs that you can do in your life. And your, your, your inputs would be your revenue or let's say your diet with that analogy and your output mm-hmm is, you know, what your kind of, I guess your burn rate when you exercise, 
or your how much you're able to cut your spending, how much you can budget. And mm-hmm. you can budget all day and you'll never really get rich if your income doesn't eventually grow. And the same thing happens with um, you know with weight loss. So you can exercise you know, hypothetically, if you're well, running on a treadmill 24 hours a day, you can only burn so many calories. But you could always eat more than you could ever burn, you know, yeah. possibly. The same thing yeah, goes with money. So always, as I always tell people, you know, budgeting is important and should never be forgotten. But once you get those big wins, you know, don't worry about the nickels and dimes. Try to figure out how I can afford the life that I want and yeah. keep earning more. Well, I was going to debate you on one point. You said that you can't get rich by budgeting. And uh, I agree that it's more difficult to do that. But I think it depends on what you define as rich. That's true. You could and, live a rich lifestyle. But if you're only earning, I don't know, let's say um, $10,000, a year at the you know, that's minimum wage yeah, right now. You're not, you're not going to do what you want to do there. Because realistically, there's only so much you can cut from your budget. I would say that you have to eat, you have to have a place to live. You have to have clothes. If you have, you you have to pay medical costs, indulgences, you have to, I mean, you're not going to be happy if you don't. So I feel like at a minimum, even the, unless you're doing like super extreme, crazy personal finance, and I've written stories about people who get by on $2,000 a year, but the average person, needs at least say 10 to $12,000 a year to uh, meet their needs. Right. Like, uh, and the, and the best example I know of someone who very publicly discusses living on a very, very, very low budget would be Pete from Mr. Money Mustache. Right. There's some other similar sites like Frugal Woods. They do the similar kind of, uh, you know, financial independence is, is what they call it. You know, trying to live on such a low cost that they can just, live and not have to worry what, about what it. What do they call it? Financial independence. Oh, right. Yeah. Like they so, call it like uh, the fire movement, financial yeah. independence, retire early. Fire. Yeah. So, but even Pete, I mean, Pete does not, his lifestyle is not meager. He would call it fancy. He does call it fancy. And he spends around $25,000 a year uh, for a family of three. And uh, I think that he could get it down to say 18 or 20,000 if he wanted, but he doesn't need to. At this point, you know, there was a point I know when he was actually just before he started his site, Mr. Money Mustache, he was, uh, he'd been an engineer, I think, at a uh, company. Yep. He lives in the area just kind of north of Boulder, Colorado. It's a fairly low expense um, city, you know, living yep. without a car, biking to work, getting most of his entertainment from the library. They were living, I think, pretty, pretty frugal, under 20,000 at that point um, mm-hmm. before, before his website exploded in popularity and started making him a bunch of money. <laughs> you, you know, my favorite thing about Pete's lifestyle. So on this RV trip, we stopped and we saw Pete in his city. And uh, I love the fact that he has purchased a house that backs up to a park. And there are no fences around the park or anything. And because of the way it's landscaped, the net effect is he doubles the size of his lot because there are all these trees at the back end of the park, which forms the back of his property line, but they're actually set back a bit from the actual property line. So he has this, he has this like conversational area with chairs that's in the park that he's just 
it's like bonus because the way he bought his house. I've got to go over and visit him sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I'm in Denver, I'll, maybe I should make the drive up. And uh, there's some good beer that is made over in his town too. Absolutely. So, so you sold your site. I know um, you, you did well with your site sale. Yeah. Um, you did it around the same time, actually, as Harlan, who we just mentioned, and Jim. You all sold around the same time, which was a uh, you know a huge beacon of light for for a lot of the rest of us who um, were thinking, oh, wow, maybe I could sell my site for some huge amount someday. And obviously I haven't because you are listening to a podcast from it. But um, <laughs> but I know, JD, you, you took uh, some time kind of on the down low in the personal finance writing space, um, still writing on Get Rich Slowly, as you said, on and off. And just recently you decided it's time to get back into it. And you've been on yeah. this big RV trip. Can you share a bit about your your new uh, online project and and how that's going. Sure, absolutely. So you're right, Eric, in that, uh, so I, I wrote it, or I owned Get Rich Slowly for about three years. I sold it, I stuck around and acted as editor and primary writer for another three years. And then I quit. Uh, but even though I quit writing online about money, I was still, I had a, a magazine column in Entrepreneur Magazine where I wrote every month. I did that for four years. And then uh, my friend Chris Gillibo had approached me and asked me if I wanted to do a course for his series of unconventional guides. And which Chris, are basically um, just a quick little asterisk, we've mentioned Chris before in his books. He was actually, I was giving away copies of his new book um, in, in the very first episodes of the Personal Profitability Podcast. Ah. And Chris is the guy behind the Art of Nonconformity and right. World Domination Summit. So you exactly right. listeners have heard of both of those before, I believe. Excellent. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris is a friend. He and I've done some stuff together, including I was on the committee that got World Domination Summit started and so on. So he had approached me and said, hey, J.D., do you want to do, I want an unconventional guide to money. Do you want to do that? So we developed what we called the Get Rich Slowly course. And as part of that, we had a guide. Uh, a, it's basically a deluxe ebook uh, that I called Be Your Own CFO. And, and the idea behind it was I wanted people to become the chief financial officer of their own lives. Uh, because I think everybody understands that a, a business has to make money in order to survive. But what people don't realize is the same idea is true for personal finance. And uh, I mean, this is what your the name of your site goes to. Yeah, this is actually this. Um, if, if you want to go back and read some very poorly written posts from the beginning of my <laughs> blogging days. Uh, so in my first few months of blogging, I wrote posts. I, you know, my background, I have an MBA. I have, you know, two finance degrees. So I'm a very financey guy. Yeah. And I never had the big debt story that a lot of personal finance bloggers started with. For me, it was always, you know, we're, we're making money, but we don't know what to do with it. So let's figure mm -hmm. that out together. And I very early on wrote about a personal balance sheet a personal income statement and a personal statement of cash flows, which are th the three major uh, yep. reports all public companies have to put out every year. So I say, you know, look at yourself like a business. You wouldn't be, if you were the CEO of a company, you wouldn't be okay with a uh, part of your company hemorrhaging money and spending and spending and spending. If you weren't mm -hmm. making enough to, uh, to make up for it somewhere else, or you'd be fired, you know, the, the board of directors or your boss, you know, if you're CEO, you have a, the bosses, your board of directors, you know, they let you go. And that happens not all the time, but it definitely happens regularly in, um, in the business world. So you have to treat yourself the same way you would treat your company if you were the boss. Yeah. And the thing is, 
when people hear this and when they really take it to heart, they get it. It makes sense. So, so much in the personal finance world, I, I don't know whether you've experienced this, but we will write about something that's a good idea. Uh, I'm going to use an example that Mr. Money Mustache uses all the time, which is it's a good idea to bike or to walk instead of drive a car. And there's so much resistance out there to this idea. But if you frame it in terms of cutting expenses and trying to build profit, uh, if you frame it in terms of managing your life like a business, there's almost no resistance. I am shocked by how little resistance I get uh, to this notion that you should manage your life like a business. It's, it's as if in people's minds, it clicks. And yeah, so anyway, I, I wrote that course. I did that course. And uh, it came out in April of 2014. So at this point, 21 months ago, roughly. And uh, I, thought, I thought I was done. I, I thought, okay, this is my this is where I'm collating all of my ideas about money, everything I've learned over the past 10 years into one place. And I'm done. I quit writing for Entrepreneur Magazine. I quit writing at Get Rich Slowly. I'm just done. I actually have a, uh, an interview with you, JD, a written interview in April 2014 uh, when that course came out that anyone oh, yeah? can go back and see on this site. It's personalprofitability.com. If you just Google personalprofitability.com, JD Roth, it'll come up. Um, the, the URL is a little too long to say here. It's actually personalprofitability.com slash interview dash with dash get dash rich dash slowly's dash JD dash Roth. So um, if you want to type that in, you can, or just Google uh, personalprofitability.com JD Roth and he'll come up. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I thought I was done. So uh, I began formulating other things that I wanted to do including this, this RV trip. Again, I thought it was going to be a six month RV trip and it's turned into much longer than that. Uh, but in the middle of the RV trip, the RV broke down. It broke down in a small town called Plankinton, South Dakota, population 700. And a place and, you will never forget. Uh, we will never forget. It was actually fun. We got to know <laughs> some of the locals and it, it's only like 50 miles from uh, where all the Laura Ingalls Wilder uh, books take place. It's the little town on the prairie, little house on the prairie stuff. Oh, it's, yeah. Huh. Yeah, their homestead is like 50 miles from there. So we went up and saw it. And, uh, anyway, at that time, my friend Leo Babauta from zenhabits.net, he asked me, he said, JD, I, I'm doing this course. He's called, he called it the sea change course, where he was trying to get everybody to uh, make big changes in their lives. He said, I, I want to do an episode about money, but I don't know about this. Can you do it for me? So I said, sure. And so I condensed uh, Previously, in, in 2014, I condensed everything I knew about money into the, the Get Rich Slowly course. And now I condensed it into what was supposed to be a 20-minute presentation and ended up being 40 minutes or an hour. And uh, I realized, you know, I'm still interested in this. I really get passionate about it. I love it. I love trying to help people get better with money. And so I went back uh, after doing this presentation. I went back to Kim and I said, I, I think I might want to start another personal finance site. So we racked our brains to come up with uh, names and somebody on Facebook suggested that we call it Money Boss. And so that's what we've got today. We have moneyboss.com, which just recently uh, launched. I haven't done like a hard launch. It's just kind of a soft launch um, that I've been writing about financial independence, how to manage your life like a business. And uh, I'm really wanting to go beyond just money. I, I want to talk about, uh, I want to take a holistic approach to improving your life because I think money is just one aspect and it's tied into everything else, you know? 
That's actually uh, the, the four, I call them the four pillars of personal profitability because I like alliteration. Um, there, are, there are four pillars on my site and they are um, earn more, you know, spend mindfully, grow your wealth and live a better life through mindful personal finance. Nice. So it's all, you know, our sites are your new site and my rebranded site. Actually, uh, this one year anniversary episode is also the one year anniversary of rebranding. It used to be Narrow Bridge Finance. And if you listen to the very first episode of the podcast, I call it Narrow Bridge Finance still. Okay. So what the hell is Narrow Bridge? I've never understood this. Sure. So if you actually, if you go to the very, very first post ever on personal profitability, it tells the story a little bit, but I will tell all of you so you can hear it. It's, um, there is a Jewish song that, is my favorite song to sing with, uh, you know, there's a thing if you go to a religious family's home or uh, like a Chabad house, places that people get together for Shabbat dinners, Shabbat being the Sabbath, Friday Sabbath, night. Yeah. Um, we often sing songs after we eat before we say the, or actually sing the prayer after the meal. There's mm-hmm. prayers for everything in Judaism. And my favorite one that always resonated well with me because I love the song and the melody, but I also love the words it goes Kol Haolam Kulo Gesher Tsarmeod Vehaikar Lole Fach Leklal. I think that's how it all goes. Um, it, it oh, just, your Hebrew is terrible. I, I know, right? Um, so um, <laughs> in English, that means the whole world is a very narrow bridge. And the most important thing is to never be afraid. And oh, I like that. that I always thought you know, people were kind of afraid of their money. When I started, my site was right around when the real estate bubble burst and yeah. a lot of America went into bankruptcy, it was a really rough time. And I was working in a bank then. I actually had just left uh, a job as a bank manager. And so I was, you know, the the bank I worked at had very, very conservative lending terms, so they never got in trouble. Mm-hmm. But I was seeing left and right, you know, people going bankrupt and losing their homes. It was a scary time in the stock market, a scary time for money. And I thought, you know, it might seem scary, But the most important thing is to not be afraid and you can get across it just like you could a narrow bridge. Mm -hmm. And I actually later found out that the rabbi who wrote it, who I I always knew who wrote it, um, his uh, is the the rabbi who founded one of the big Hasidic movements. I found out he was my great, 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 great uncle, I believe, (laughs) like seven or eight greats in there. So, uh, I don't even want to know how that maps out on a family tree. <laughs> it was like my mom's dad's 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 something <laughs> is this really famous rabbi. And it's, I know it's his grandson. So I don't know. It gets a little blurry when we get that far back in the family tree, exactly how everyone's related. But I know I'm related to his grandfather as a direct descendant. Nice. So, um, so that's where the name came from, Narrow Bridge Finance. But I realized after, what, seven years, um, I was actually standing up in the shower. You know, that's where all my best uh, my best thoughts come to me in, in the shower. And I like ran out of the shower. I tore out of there like I'd been shot by lightning, <laughs> ran down the stairs, like dripping with a towel hanging on me and said to my wife who was in the kitchen, I was like, Jennifer, I just figured it out. It only took me seven years. And you know, she looked at me like I'd lost my mind. Like, what did you figure out? Like, I figured out what narrow bridge finance is really about. It's about personal profitability. Nice. And I love, um, I love the name. It took some online uh, haggling and, and deal making to get the domain, but I got it. And um, yep. I rebranded in January 2015 after I think it was seven years. So now I'm an eight year veteran blogger in personal finance with personal nice. profitability. So actually one of the, formative stories of get rich slowly it's very similar to that 
You were in, in the shower that. and you had a brilliant idea? Well, no, I'm a bath guy. I mean, <laughs> I do guy. take showers, but it's almost exactly the same, Eric. Seriously. <laughs> so and I've written about this before. I mentioned earlier that uh, when I decided to get out of debt, I decided I wanted to make, I wanted to make more money. And so I was uh, in the bathtub. I had bought this. I was married at the time. And my wife and I had this huge, beautiful clawfoot tub. We uh, lived in a 100-year-old house in Portland. And so we had uh, purchased this clawfoot tub because it matched everything. And I'm a big bath taker. And I was sitting in there and I was reading a book called The Millionaire Maker by a gal named Laurel Longmire. And it, I can't decide whether she's scammy or not. I'm reluctant to read the book. I, I don't want to come out and say that she is scammy. She's one of these people that has like a, a conferences you can attend and purchase things. And oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't want to say anything bad about her, especially since this book was very inspirational to me. But I, I'm a little wary. So be careful. I, I do recommend people read the book, but just be wary. Um, and after you read the book, don't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Just don't go to the conferences, maybe. So I, uh, I read the book. I was reading the book. I was only like 20 or 30 pages into it. And I can't even remember what she said. Uh, something about passive income, I'm sure. And something she wrote struck me so much that I got out of the tub. There were no towels because my wife was doing the laundry and she had expected me to stay in the tub for a while so she could finish the laundry. So I went naked and dripping wet and sat down at the dining room table where there was a pad and paper. And I started writing the plans uh, for making money through blogs and including the, I mapped out this thing for get rich slowly. And so it's, it's kind of a similar story. Huh. You actually had uh you know, I, it's, I think that lots of people have shower stories. Uh, I was at the, um, <laughs> The, the first time I ever went to World Domination Summit, which is in Portland, I thought, well, it's here. I should go. And uh, my the blogger who was my first real like big inspiration online was um, Darren Rouse from yeah. ProBlogger. Yeah. And I went – he had a full day um, like a ProBlogger boot camp almost kind of event. And I went and other friends who – even friends who have been on this uh, podcast like Kathleen, now Kelman's, then O'Malley still, I believe. It's not Selman's? Um, Selmans, sorry, I will say it right. wrong. I call you out. You you called me out. You're right, Kathleen Selmans. I I saw the C and like you know when you see something wrong the first time yeah. it's implanted yeah, wrong. I'm... It's so hard to break it. Um, but yes, Kathleen, uh, formerly O'Malley. Um, she, we sat together while uh, Darren and many amazing guests got on stage. And uh, actually, Pat Flynn, who's been on this podcast before, was on the stage as well. Um, Chris Chris got up on stage, mm-hmm. but. Um, Throughout the day, uh, one one of the speakers was um, was Chris. Is it Chris Gannett? I'd have to. I don't know where I put his book, the Pro Blogger book. I have it somewhere, unless I lent it out and never got it back. <laughs> but his, uh, but um, Darren's uh, co-author was up on stage, and he is a uh, he's also kind of a, a nerdy online kind of guy, but very very nice. And he um, he said, "Okay, everyone, raise your hand if you've ever run out of the shower dripping wet." to register a domain name because you got an idea <laughs> when you were showering and about 20% of the room put their hands up. So I, I think that's a great place for idea uh, generation. You know? And I actually, I used to have uh, bathtub, kids' bathtub markers and I brought them in the shower. I just kept them in there. And anytime I had a blog post idea in the shower, I'd write it on the wall. I, I never just... knew anything like that existed. Hold on. That's getting written down. Yeah, the, the problem with them is... Um, I like really, really hot, steamy showers, like yeah. almost scalding. And mm-hmm. um, the steam makes the uh, marker drip. 
So you have to write. You have to like. You kind of have to be able to. It looks like the blood dripping in a movie, like a horror movie or something. You have to like be able to kind of decipher the writing that's dripping. Well, no, and so this is an interesting thing. What I've learned is, as a writer, we face writer's block, and Jerry Seinfeld has this quote about how writer's block is this a made up excuse for not getting work done, but he's full of it. Uh, maybe he can muscle through it, but I can't. And I know lots of other people who can't either. We really do face writer's block. I find that I can always get through it if I have to, but there's definitely days that I have a flow where I just hit my zone and I could, I've written like 7,000 words in a day before um, when I was really feeling it. And then there's days where I, like it's painful to write a 500 word article for a client, but I just have to get it done. So I always can, but I definitely yeah. agree. Some days you're just in the zone. And, and so what I've learned is that what can really help me is things like taking a shower or a bath or a people like going on a walk. That's a good yeah. one. And actually, is this a rated G podcast? Or um, it can be, podcast? it can be up to rated R. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what words I can say. You, so, you can pretty much say anything. Just, just don't, uh, just no full frontal nudity. Okay. You might have to bleep something out. So okay. I have right here in front of me, the very first thing I pinned on my wall here in Savannah, Georgia, when we stopped for six months, I, it says, are you stuck? Get out of your head. Go for a walk. Motherfucker. <laughs> that is not getting bleeped. That's great. <laughs> so that is just a message to me to remind myself that if I'm sitting here at my computer and I'm really not getting anything done. I need to get up, go outside and go for a five mile walk. It takes me about an hour and a half to walk five miles. And invariably walking those five miles, it's like breaking a dam. Everything just comes flooding out. I always take a pen and paper with me. Uh, some people could just talk into their iPhone, but I would forget about the voicemail. I find getting away from screens because we're... Yeah. You know, she, my wife will call me out when she listens to this. Like, I tell you this all the time. Like, we surround ourselves with screens so much. Like, right yep. now where I'm sitting, I have two turned on, one to my right that I keep playing with because I have phone addiction, and my, <laughs> uh, my laptop, which is closed right now, that's powering the two. I have four screens within arm's length of me right now. And, you know, I, have, I don't know how many we have in our house. Like, it's a, a gross number probably for a lot of people. But... You know, getting away from that, you know, I'm a two monitor guy when I'm working um, both in my day job and blogging stuff a lot of the time. And it's so like easy to go down the rabbit hole. I have 14 tabs open right now, um, <laughs> which nine are articles that I want to review for for my other project. I'm working on Money Mola, uh, moneymola.com if you're interested. Um, so you know, there's always just like so much information that we're consuming and taking in. So I'm just cutting that off and just going on a walk. Or doing something away, yep. it can yep. just it lets you bring yourself out instead of uh, keep absorbing other people's stuff. So when I was still married and living in that hundred-year-old house in Portland, um, we had like three fifths of an acre. We had a huge lawn that needed to be mowed, especially uh, say between March and July, because um, I let the grass go dormant. I'm not one of the people who I believe grass is meant to go dormant. Let it die out for the summer. Um, but when I would go out to mow the lawn, I began to realize I was getting great bursts of inspiration because I was just letting my mind go and it would become it would do the free association thing. So I started setting a notebook outside so that I could turn off the mower, go over, sit down and write out, spend 20 minutes writing out 
whatever it is that came to mind. It's just, it's fantastic. That's great. So, um, so we're, we're getting towards the end of our time. So, uh, before we yeah. wrap up, um, I want to ask you if you had advice for somebody who is in debt, can't figure out what their first step should be. What, what do you think they should do to get going? Well, I think the key thing when you're in debt is to realize that the key to everything is actually, like Eric Seitz says, personal profitability. You, you're only going to continue to get further and further in debt if you are not earning more than you spend. So you've got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reduce your spending and or increase your income so that you've got this gap. You're creating a personal profit. Because that personal profit is what's going to allow you to dig out of debt and then eventually build savings and accomplish whatever goals you have for yourself, whatever long-term goals you have. And I think the thing to realize, you know, when I was trying to dig out of debt, one of the things that I struggled with it, it was I didn't want to cut back really hard and have to live that way for the rest of my life. I didn't want to like, I don't know, become a monk for the rest of my life. But the thing is, it's not a life sentence. And I see this now, but I didn't at the time. These sacrifices that you're making, they're short term until you get out of debt. And sure, short term might mean five years. But so what? It's only five years. And once those five years are done, you're out of debt and you have a profit already going once you're out of debt. So you can use that money for whatever you want, whatever it is that you're really wanting to accomplish in life. So I think that's huge is to understand uh, the importance of profit and the fact that the cutting back is really a short term thing to get you out of debt. Great. So one very, very last question before we yeah. call it a day. If people want to find out more about you and connect with you and and read your amazing uh, words of wisdom online <laughs> or Gosh. wherever else they may be, where should they go to find you? So uh, I have many websites. So I guess because I'm best known for personal finance and because I've just started this new personal finance blog, uh, Money Boss, which is at moneyboss.com, is probably the best place to go. And that's where I'm writing about financial independence and managing your personal life as if you were managing a, a business. Uh, if you're more interested in the RV trip, then check out farawayplaces.com where you can find the uh, different places we've been this year and where we'll be next year. And there's always jdroth.com where people complain that I don't write enough. I'm always getting emails saying, what's the deal? I thought you were blogging more at jdroth.com. <laughs> and sorry, readers, if you're listening to this and I'm making fun of you, but I have good intentions. I want to write more there, uh, but I'm scattered and I'm doing all these other things. So at jdroth.com, I write a lot about happiness and uh, nerdy things. I have all sorts of articles in the works that are just totally nerd stuff. And if you go to those sites, you can find you know, links to uh, JD's Twitter and contact forms and ways to uh, reach yeah, out Ben directly as well. I'm I'm the worst Twitter person in the world. I do not get it. <laughs> I've spent the last seven years not getting Twitter. It's like if you strip out the depth and value of people's very shallow Facebook posts and put them in a fire hose. But see, I That's love Twitter. Facebook. I know Facebook gets a lot of crap from a lot of people, but I love it. It's a great way to connect. I mean, just before... This, before we recorded this podcast, a bunch of us personal finance bloggers were joking around about drinking beer and recording podcasts. Yeah. Um, well, one, one important writer or blogger mantra, um, I think it was Ernest Hemingway who said it, but we recycle it regularly as uh, 
write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of that. That's awesome. I'm writing that down. Write so, uh, drunk, edit sober. <laughs> but you can't edit out the drunk out of a podcast. So if you're recording, keep that in mind. All right, That's everyone. Awesome. Well, well, JD, thank you so much for the time. Thank this you, has been um, a ton of fun and you know very educational. I hope all the readers out there and listeners yeah. out there found it useful as well. And um, thank you so much, everybody, for, for listening to the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.